hi everyone welcome to framework leadership a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level i'm your host ken engel president of southeastern university and i'm your co-host michael steiner vice president for innovation and communication and we are excited today to introduce our guest for uh, for the show mark sanborn it's a good friend to southeastern university great friend been with well, us you. for many occasions yes but mark is president of sanborn and associates and an idea studio uh, uh, dedicated to developing leaders in business and and in life. Uh, Mark is an international best-selling author, award-winning keynote uh, leadership speaker, and always just a privilege for us to have a conversation with you. So welcome. Well, I feel like amongst old friends, not chrono- chronologically old, but <laughs> right. we've been yeah. friends for a long time. And you get to be my age, you qualify old, you know, right. just, sure, just, to absolutely. Be, just to be accurate. Right. <laughs> hey, I want to open our conversation by talking about culture uh, and, and specifically our work culture that we're dealing with. What do you think makes a work environment healthy? Uh, what makes it miserable? You know, what, what factors contribute to a, a, a good work atmosphere? The challenge answering that question is if you ask uh, 10 people in a uh, culture, the same culture, they, they might all answer quite differently. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so I always like to back up and, and begin by defining culture. And, and there's probably few words in organizational development um, more often used and least understood. My last book, I, I carved out, a, I think, and I hope, a pragmatic kind of approach to culture. And I say, culture is everything you, you think and believe that results in what you attempt and achieve. Mm. Uh, and I know that's, that's very broad, but culture is something that you have to have a definition before you can affect it. Sure. Most leaders uh, inherit a culture. Now, a startup, and that's really uh, one of the beauties of being a startup, is that you do, either by design or default, create your own culture. And that's why startups can be so competitive so quickly, because they're not encumbered by right. 10 or 20 or 30 years of a, a dysfunctional culture. But I think what we have to do is define culture in terms of what we aspire to that will attract like-minded people. Hmm. Now, I'm not going to speak to the idea, and it's important, that we're inclusive and that we're respectful and civil, uh, but I think that when you look at the array of options that employees have today, and, and one of the things I love hmm. about millennials and digitals is 82 to 84% of them would rather do important work than be recognized by their employer. Mm. And that speaks highly. You know, I'm, right. I always kid around. I say, I'm a baby boomer. You know, I'd pay me enough, I'll sell my soul, right? To do. <laughs> yeah. And uh, because we were very economically uh, driven. And, and so I think that culture needs to focus on the idea that we're absolutely clear on what we're about why we're about it, and how we go about it. And then it becomes less about changing people right. as it is yeah. attracting people that go, I want to work there. Mm-hmm. Sure. And there are a lot of great examples of, of cultures that are just very competitive. Google at one time, I think, uh, some years ago, had 5,000 applicants for every opening. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't we all love to? Now, that right. was, that yeah, was, yeah. That was right. pre-COVID. Right. Now there's 5,000 right. openings for every applicant, which right. gives you a little bit of a leg up. Um, <clears throat> I, I do think that at the, the the bottom line to culture is is values, and there are many values, but you really need to focus on what are the ones that are that are most important to your organization. Um, sometimes people come from a really great culture, but they go to a different culture, and they keep playing by the old right, culture the old, rules. Sure, sure. And the new culture is like, well, I thought they were going right. to be good, and they're they're not. Well, they are good. They're just past tense good. They're mm-hmm. good in the culture yeah. they came from. And, and expectations and values uh, are central to uh, getting people on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beyond that, I, 
I got to tell you, I, I was back channeling with uh, a couple leaders in an association that are dealing, dealing with some challenges. And I, I think this is one of the most difficult times to be a leader mm-hmm. uh, that I can recall. And I've, I've been in this space for almost 40 years uh, because we're not just dealing with human behavior, but we're changing with fundamental shifts in mm-hmm. how people view the world right. and how they interact with each other. And it, and it seems like uh, if I was uh, using the old magic wand analogy, um, that I would wave a wand and just say, uh, before we disagree and, and become divisive, why don't we try to listen and understand? Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's hard for everybody. It doesn't right, matter right. which side of the political aisle you're on. doesn't matter what your worldview is, because we just it's so important for us to be right. And the second thing uh, that that I'm going a little off mm-hmm. of course here, I apologize, but I, I think the second thing is I always tell people, uh, if you disagree with me, I'm not offended by that. My wife loves me; she disagrees with me, yeah, and we're right. we're, mm-hmm. we're married right. and happy. But what I think that bothers me is people who disagree but don't know why, mm. because it's very difficult to engage someone who feels a way but doesn't know why they feel right. that way. Because it's hard to argue with emotions. Yeah. I mean, if right. you feel happy. I can't argue out of right. happy. Mm-hmm. Right. If you say I'm happy because my my worst enemy just got you know hit by a bicycle and broke their ankle, at least I can go. Well, you know that may not be a great Reason. source yeah. of happiness mm-hmm. uh, over over the long run. So. I, I, uh, my hats are off. Uh, my hats, my singular hat is off to the leaders today who are dealing with challenges that, frankly, uh, I couldn't even have anticipated if I'd had a crystal ball. Right, and you think yeah. about these challenges. I think that you know, 47 million Americans quit last year. Right, we're in the we're in the middle of this great resignation. Um, more people are turning over. Four percent of literally the workforce just decided to say, "Yeah, I'm going somewhere else." Well, I mean, obviously, we know the pandemic is the one that. Ki- was the catalyst for that, but why is that continuing? What's happening? And you know, what what are some of the contributing factors? What do leaders need to be thinking about in this environment to be competitive? First of all, COVID didn't change anything, but it accelerated everything. Right. Yeah. In other words, people go, oh, COVID changed that. No, COVID just proved that you really can work remotely. Right. Right. You can do a lot of things when you have to. So I always uh, have believed that the things people would have eventually expected in one, three, nine years, they just now expect simultaneously. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot on the on the leader's plate. Secondly, it's an issue of, of demographics. Mm-hmm. You know, we worry about increasing populations and feeding them, and then we re- worry about decreasing populations and getting people to come to work. You know, we, we're always dealing with supply and demand, and, that, and that's a, 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 an age-old uh, economic condition. Uh, the other thing I think is that people now feel uh, like they do have uh, an option; they have choices. COVID ex- accelerated that, right. but I think people uh, increasingly, and again, it, it's partly generational. I think people say, "You know what? I don't, I don't have to forego uh, feeling good about my my day until the evening and weekend. Mm. I, I can make money and meaning at the same time." Um, my latest book, I say that. Motivation is important, but inspiration is critical. Yeah. And, and inspiration is motivation to the power of purpose. We, we still want to be paid. We still want vacation. We still want medical and those other perks. But we also want to, to link that to doing something worthwhile. Yeah. And I, I think great leaders have to – I don't think it's always obvious what that higher purpose is, but I think a great leader helps identify yeah. that for the organization and, I think, for individuals. I think good leaders kind of get to know their team well enough so that they can say, you know, if this is our bigger purpose, what's your purpose? You know, yeah. what is it that you bring to the party? Yeah. 
That's good. Um, if uh, you know, when it comes to social media today, you know, if you've if you've ever scrolled down, you know, TikTok, there seems to be, you know, a good number of people who are selling their belongings, their gig working, and and they've never been happier. Quote unquote, never been happier. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and and they've they've quit their jobs and are traveling the world making money online. What what is that trend on the workforce, and what do you think this is teaching? younger generations and how can leaders and employers think about this those are great questions and i don't uh purport to be an expert on social media i think a we all bring our own biases you know i i um i use social media to communicate business what i do in my work leadership ideas i avoid social media when it comes to general opinion there's so much vitriol and lack of civility that you know, I learned something late in life, and that is you can't accept it, you can't change it, you have to leave. Right. And I would start, my head would explode when I'd read comments on mm -hmm. social media, mostly about an, an issue or a person. And I thought, you know, there's no upside. I'm not, somebody said to me the other day, have you ever met somebody that said, you know, my life changed because of a tweet. Yeah. You, you, right. know, you don't change right. your right. you don't be, you don't go exactly. from an atheist to a Christian or from right. a Christian to a you know a Buddhist with a singular tweet. So I think we overestimate. I think social media gives us a chance to vent, mm. which I suppose is healthy for some people, and also it's it's a look at me mechanism. Right. Right. It's right. Famous for being famous. In terms of how it affects uh, work, um, I, again, I go back to the term options. Uh, I think that people are just making it up. I think we're we're still in a, a formative phase right. of social media, and some of the things that everybody thought you know were going to pan out didn't. But I think the gig economy certainly has grown because of our ability to use social media over time and space and the internet, uh, uh, virtual um, presentations. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that the Problem. The biggest problem that an employer has is they think that social media is a single entity and it's it's a pie with a lot mm. of slices. I learned from being a father of, of of two boys that are now in their twenties that the social media that I was looking at was not the social Same. media they right. were yeah, looking at, right. and where they were posting is not where I saw their, which they probably were very happy <laughs> right. about. I didn't see their <laughs> posts, and and so. I think the answer to the question, at least in part, is make sure you have a, a, a group in your organization that is in the age and savvy in social media that can teach you what you couldn't figure out on your mm -hmm. own. I, I stop doing that. If if I want to check my sensibilities in something I write, I don't show it to another guy my age or a gal my age. Mm -hmm. I show it to one of my kids yeah. or to one of their their colleagues because that's where you start to be able to cross the the, the mm -hmm. chasm and, and you know I think very often we think well if I was smart enough to build this business I'm smart enough to eh, maybe not you, right. you may be smart enough but you don't have enough years right. yeah, to figure right. it out and I think right. it speaks to the fact that they're they're starting to speak a different language right like with with social media there you see all these people and I love the way you said it. it's not true, right? They're blowing up. This is a highlight reel, but it's teaching these 18 and 20 year olds a mindset and an expectation of what work should be, right? That work should be remote, that you should be able to make $150,000 at 18 years old while living in the desert in your camper van, right? It's creating this kind of false sense. Yep. And I think what you hit on right there is that is that important of talking to each other. So how can leaders be better at mentoring, speaking to that mindset and helping um, you know, young people understand that there's more to this world than well, the, that. The phraseology is a little uh, antiquated, but I still, I don't like the phrase, but I like the concept of reverse mentoring. Mm. 
we think mentoring is only down to younger, yeah. newer. Uh, but there's a kind of mentoring that can happen. I, I have two groups of friends, people my age and a pretty big uh, group of friends that are 20 years younger than me. And I learned from both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, people my age just challenged my thinking because they had different views. But I've learned that you can't learn about the sensibilities of somebody 20 years younger unless you're hanging out with people who are right. 20 years younger. You mm-hmm. can discuss it and take a sociology class. But it's a lot easier. Just hang out with them. Right. And and I'm always amazed at my reaction to things. And, and these are people I can be open with because sometimes I'll lay something out that I think is going to be a given mm-hmm. and they'll react and i'm like whoa, whoa what right. was that about yeah. you know and yeah, then i'm going again that's that blind spot right mm-hmm. that that we all look at the world through our own perspective and and that's the first is letting people react but then the, the way you learn is say so why do you feel that way mm-hmm. and it's tough you know and you're we we always think leaders should know the right answers i say the best leaders ask the best questions right mm-hmm. yep because you'll never that's learn nice. anything knowing the answer yep. mm-hmm. We used to think Pluto was a planet. I mean, we all grew up memorizing that whole thing, and suddenly they're like, "Eh, no, it's a big glob of ice. Sorry, not a planet. Exactly. Nuts. I love love your voice and your passion. You you have a tremendous passion for educating and uh, encouraging leaders and and inspiring. I feel like some younger individuals are almost losing that kind of passion. Uh, what advice do you give those who are struggling to find their niche um, in life? Again, I go back to, you know, I, uh, nobody in my family, immediate family, was military. My, my dad, who my boys unfortunately never met, was Air Force. But uh, suddenly, I've got a son that goes to college on an NROTC scholarship. And, and I think that speaks to the idea that one of the things my wife, Darla, and I always did is encouraged our kids to try a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. This there's There seems to be kind of a mindset in society that says, if you're going to be a competitive fill-in-the-blank, gymnast, med student, lawyer, at six, you better be you know studying up on your LSATs. Mm-hmm. There's, there's not many six-year-olds who know they want to be a, a right. lawyer. Right. Probably a lot of lawyers that figured out they didn't want to be a lawyer. But I, I think that it's only through experience that we can hone in on two mm-hmm. things. One, what we like to do, and two, what we're good at doing. Uh, what we like to do, I think we have less choice over. I don't like ballet. I know my friends that love ballet. I just, no matter how hard I work, I'm not going to go, you know, I've really come. I can appreciate, right. but I, I don't love ballet. Mm-hmm. But when I know what I'm good at, you know, when, and when I first started speaking, literally at the age of 10 in a contest, I was horrendous. But ironically, I ch- was challenged by it, and I found out, not that I was good at it, but that I could become good at it. So what you like, you don't control. But how good you become at what you like, you do control. Mm-hmm. And, and I think too often we, we do it one way or the other. Well, what are you good at? Well, some things we can't monetize, you know. Mm-hmm. You might be really good at something, but it's going to be a wonderful hobby. Yeah. It's not going to make a career. Other things that we're really good at, uh, you know, people say, well, why don't you do uh, coaching? And, and I, do, I, I do a little bit of advising with senior leaders, but... I said, because I, I don't like to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I like growing and developing people, but that's not the tool that I like. So, A, try a lot of things. Pay attention to what you like. Pay attention to what you can get better at. Mm-hmm. And then, the, and this goes back to the three concentric or three intersecting circles, you know, mm-hmm. what you like, what you do well, what you can get paid to do. Yeah. And that becomes your your career. But uh, going back to this idea of, of uh, leadership among younger people. One of the problems I think we face is that uh, today, often leadership's 
uh, looked at as a resume builder, not as a, a calling. Mm. In other words, I'll get a call and say, hey, can you teach me to lead effectively? And I go, well, you know, I'm, I write books and develop training around that. But here's the question. Why do you want to lead? And they'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to graduate and I need wow. I need that on my resume. And I go, that's fine. But if, if that's the only reason, you're not going to make a very good leader because right. the first time you bump up against a problem or a challenge or a crisis, you're not going to have the the, the the momentum to continue mm-hmm. to lead. And so you've got to have the practical and the philosophical. And ultimately, I say leaders make the world a better place for mm-hmm. other people. Right. If you make it a better place for you, that's called ambition. Yeah. yeah. I'm, fine. I'm, a, I'm a capitalist. I'm huge on yeah. ambition. But if you don't make the world better for others at the same time, you're not a leader. Leaders make the world better for themselves, obviously, and mm. others, not just for themselves. Yeah. And so I think that idea of why do you want to lead, and, and frankly, uh, you, you shouldn't necessarily think of being a leader right out of the chute. Maybe, you, maybe you're going to be 12 and you're going to be you know, junior high class president, or maybe you're going to mm. be 42 and, and you're going to move into sea uh, level in, in your organization. But there shouldn't be this learn the skills, but mm. don't think that you have to instantly apply right. the skills. Right, 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 right. And I think that speaks to, you know, the, in Iowa psychology, they talk about the Peter principle, right? Where yeah. people are, are promoted out of their gifting to do something because leadership is a, is a different skill set. And yes. our traditional mode has been if somebody's a high performer, give them more responsibilities. How can organizations think differently about that model? How can we reward high performers without taking them out of their their gifts, their gift set. I've grappled that with that one. I, I think you have to have a parallel uh, career path. I think you mm-hmm. need to find a way to continue to reward people who stay in that area they're best at. Historically, to make more money, you have to assume more responsibility, responsibility which means you have to become a manager slash leader, and you have to then take responsibility for other people. It's easier said than done, but. It would be great if you could, and it happens in technology, you can be a world-class coder and, and do better and better and better and never necessarily have to take over, you know, a mm-hmm. department or, or right. lead people. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that um, that the, the challenge is then how do we give people a, a career path that doesn't necessitate moving into leadership mm-hmm. and at the same time, and this is this is the flip side, right. you might have somebody that's not a particularly great performer in, in, in selling. Maybe they're middle of the road. You know, you don't obviously want to put someone in leadership that wasn't competent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But how often do we go, you know what, uh, Mark's not that great at selling, but man, he's really good at growing people. Mm. Yep. I can't think of any un- more ineffective people, leaders I've met, than great salespeople that were forced to move into management. It's the worst. And Yeah, I mean, they, mm-hmm. they hate their jobs. They aren't good at They're great at selling, mm-hmm. but they're not great at teaching other right. people to sell. But then the corollary we forget is, is, is don't think that you have to be a superstar performer in a chosen field to be a good leader in a chosen field. Yeah. So I think we got to hold both those those uh, right. tensions. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's having that ability to discern what they're good at and then being able to empower them in that opportunity and role within the organization. You're an amazing um, writer, gifted writer. What uh, talk talk to us a little bit about your latest book. My my latest book came out in September pre-COVID and I remember about 3 months into COVID going, I wonder if Everything I wrote about still is true. So I went back and I looked at it through the lens of COVID, and then I I did a research project, you know, what I did with my my spare time, about how leaders were doing during COVID. And the premise of the book is uh, called Intention Imperative, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, you don't accidentally get to the top of Mount Everest. 
You right. do it intentionally. Right. And that means two things. It means knowing where you want to go and then consistently taking action every day to get there. It's simple, but it's not simplistic because a lot of organizations have people that change where they want to go or they know where they want to go, but they're doing the wrong things to get there. Or in the worst case scenario, no, neither. They, they aren't particularly clear. They aren't particularly uh, dedicated or disciplined. And they get you know whiplashed by change in, 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 in culture, um, the greater culture. So that was kind of the, the premise of the book. And then I looked at three things. I looked at uh, culture, which we've already spoken about. I looked at inspiration. And the third component was um, the move from customer uh, experienced customer emotion. Yeah. Uh, the question to me isn't, uh, did you have a good experience? You can have a good experience and still not be happy. The question is, how do you feel about your experience? Mm -hmm. And so the premise there was design and deliver for positive emotion. Mm -hmm. So none of that changed. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think, as I said earlier, it, it might have accelerated a bit. The research that we did, and it was statistically valid, uh, 1,005 respondents over five mm -hmm. generations, uh, and it was fascinating to, to parse this out. I wanted to know what did leaders do well, what did they not do so well. But I, I learned some other things accidentally. What I learned leaders did best, and they still didn't do great, 55% uh, of people said that their leaders uh, communicated well. Now, that's not 55%. It's not like 88%. Right, it's right. still a pretty low score. The problem that we had during COVID is people thought they had to communicate more. And we got deluged with erone, uh, you know, uh, unnecessary, unnecessary information. Yeah, just noise, just yeah. white noise. But, but the, other, the other thing I found is that leaders did least well at keeping up morale. Yeah. And I, I, and this isn't in the research. I just try to give leaders a free pass. And I go, you know, when you're trying to keep the lights on, and not die. I mean, it's literally at the beginning of COVID. You know, is this the Black Death, right? Was yeah. this bubonic plague? And you're trying to, to 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 keep you know the business operating at some level. Leaders were a bit distracted, and that's not an excuse. But I, I, I do think it goes back to that age-old concept that you got to take care of yourself, but you also got to pay attention to the emotional toll mm -hmm. that anything sure. change crisis is having on your followers. The two things that kind of came out of it that I found most interesting, one was um, that, and this is not a surprise, anxiety increased 65% of respondents mm -hmm. and across the board were more anxious. But what I found is the younger the respondents, the more optimistic they were. Mm. And I found that kind of interesting. I, I don't know whether to call it anxious optimism or optimistic anxiety. Sure. But it, it kind of gelled for me this idea that if you want an agenda going forward for your people you lead, the people you serve, your students, whomever, why not look at two things kind of in macro? How can I reduce the anxiety and how can I help deliver on optimism? It would be terrible to waste an optimistic couple of generations by just not doing a good job at delivering right. on that. Right. And, you know, and, and tragically, and I don't want to date necessarily this, but, you know, another, another school shooting um, and just unspeakable evil. But again, when we say anxiety, we're not talking about just COVID or job security or harassment. I mean, we're talking mortal stakes, life right. and yeah. death stakes. Right. Yeah. And so we have to look at this holistic thing about how can we create for students, for customers for our team members how can we create a safe environment 
<laughs> and I don't mean safe spaces and ideas, you know, that I disagree with, I can opt out of. I mean, literally, physically safe. They will not be harmed, injured, get sick mm-hmm. uh, when, they, when they, they do their work. And then it's real easy then to get so consumed by that, which frankly is a challenging problem, that we miss the greater opportunity to say, and this is where I was blown away, uh, digitals and millennials said we'll have better relationships, work will be better, uh, my health will be better. And I'm thinking, that's pretty interesting mm-hmm. right in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Sure. But it speaks to the optimism that, that, it, that it's always there. The question is, who can help deliver on it? Yeah, yeah. love it. That's good. Well, we're going to move into our fire round and ask just a few uh, quick questions surrounding everything we've kind of discussed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, always ask you to answer with your gut what comes to the first, uh, <laughs> yep. first, uh, uh, your mind. I have better and... answers because I have a bigger gut. <laughs> <than I've ever laughs> right. so, uh, so we'll begin. Michael, why don't you ask the first question? Love it, love it. So uh, right off the top, what can leaders do to improve their culture even when they're not sitting at the top of the org chart? I would say two things. One is uh, be open to communication and communicate better, not more. Uh, by open to communication, and that, that would be paying attention to the information that's moving around in the organization, whether it's through conversation, text, or email, and then making sure that whenever they communicate, whether it's by text or email or in person, that what they say is concise and compelling. I want to have the kind of email everybody has to open versus a kind of email that nobody mm. opens unless... Somebody tells them later they should look at it. And right. so that's about, that's about monitoring information flow, and it's about being a better communicator, not a uh, more prolific communicator. Yep. Absolutely. All right, next question. If there's one C, uh, CEO around today that you would work for, who would it be and why? Well... Uh, there were a few I thought I might like to work for, <laughs> and uh, and then intervening the intervening months and years have proven that might not have been a, a great idea. You know, um, my friend Dr. Nito Cabane at High Point University, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 it's it's a it's a little bit of a trick question because he and I've been friends for over forty years, but. Um, and what I'm about to say is, is not it's specific to Nito, but it's not unique to Nito. And that is that when you just kind of watch the kind of creative environment where change happens mm, right. positively and quickly, those are the kinds of cultures that attract me. Sure. And and I just uh, you know I'm taking kind of the easy way out, but I'm I'm a huge uh, in addition to being a friend, a huge fan mm-hmm. of of his business acumen, his integrity, his his uh, visionary thinking. Yeah. So that that would be a, a, a person that I would put at the top of the list. Yeah, he's amazing. Love it, love it. Last question for our fire round: What skills should every young professional build in themselves, regardless of what industry they enter? Communication skills, mm-hmm. unequivocally. And by that, I mean first understanding uh, how to connect with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, there, there are very few skills, and this hasn't changed with the advent of Zoom, um, the ability to present right. your ideas. And you know, for me, it was live behind a podium on a stage. Uh, but now in any environment, the man or woman, and, and there's a downside to this. Right. I, I got to tell you, this is the problem in a quick soundbite culture, we sometimes confuse good communication with competency. Right. And there's a whole, you know, and you see it a lot in many, many sectors, mm-hmm. politics being one, where people are incredibly good communicators only to find out 
they aren't so good at delivering. So mm-hmm. I would I would use that caveat. Be a good communicator and learn to present your ideas, but also make sure you're a person that can connect their communication to their competence. Yeah, Absolutely. That's great. Mark, always a privilege to have you uh, here with us. And uh, always, you. every time I get to spend a few minutes, I always learn and uh, grow and grateful for the, your encouragement and and always the, the support that you bring. Uh, if you want to stay up to date with Mark, you can follow him on Twitter at Mark underscore Sanborn and Facebook at Mark Sanborn Speaker. Uh, Mark, again, great to have you today. Thanks. My pleasure. Always great to be with you. Love it. Love it. And if you're uh, watching us on YouTube right now, now would be a great time to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so you can get more leadership content right to your feet every single week. Also, check us out on Instagram at Kent underscore Ingle or at Dr. Michael Steiner. You can also check out uh, Dr. Ingle on Twitter at Kent Ingle. Visit our website, KentIngle.com. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter for free leadership content right to your inbox every single week. Thank you so much for listening to the Framework Leadership Podcast. Take care, everybody.